my first time through those doors, I did not walk into this sanctuary to be saved. Now, I assume many of you didn't either. I could be wrong. Assumptions are notoriously unreliable. I am, however, curious. So I'd like to ask for a show of hands, how many of us walked through that door for the very first time thinking, this is it, the path to redemption, the way to cleanse my soul of sin, error, and evil? Good. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. If you if you weren't looking for it when you first came here, I'm going to see if I can convince you to start. I'm going to ask you to think about using this place, this space, this time, this beloved community as your personal path to redemption from sin, error, and evil. Now, some of us were brought up in a faith that claimed to be that path. Some of us were raised to believe that we were going to be saved, maybe even given eternal life and salvation, because we belonged to one particular faith. And for some of us, it went even farther than that. It was our duty in this life to go out door to door or village to village and try to convince perfect strangers that we had the way to save your soul from sin. Now, as a born and bred Jew, I, I really don't get the whole proselytizing business. As, as a people, we, we Jews tend to keep to ourselves. Uh, in fact, we make it not so easy to get into the tribe, as it were. My father and stepfather, for example, were both converted to Judaism, for two different wives, but that's another sermon. Uh, one, one had to jump in Frigid Lake, Michigan, and the other had to have a ritual circumcision, despite the fact that he was already circumcised. And yes, they drew blood. <clears throat> My stepmom also converted, and what she had to do was learn Hebrew, study scripture, and take a mikvah, which in her case was a nice warm bath. So I guess that means that Jews want our men to be brave and our women to be smart. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, I have, I have very little experience in the redemption of other souls. But I do have one especially memorable experience of someone trying to save mine. About 20 years ago, when I first moved to Loudoun, I went to a salon in downtown Leesburg for a leg wax. So there I am, laying on the table with a friendly young woman spreading hot, sticky wax on some sensitive areas. And it's a vulnerable moment. She's up close and personal. So she asks me where I'm from. And by the way, I've since learned to just say West Virginia, which is also true. Uh, but I made the mistake in that moment of telling her that I was born and raised in Jerusalem, Israel. It turns out that mentioning that particular holy city to that particular holy roller opened the floodgates of religious fervor. Yes, I'm Jewish. Uh, no, we, we, we don't accept Jesus Christ as our personal savior. 
Yes, I know about Jews for Jesus. No, I, I, I don't doubt that he was a great prophet. The conversation became a passionate attempt at conversion. She was completely convinced that unless I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, that I would go to hell and live in eternal damnation. And she really wanted to save me from that. Now, I suppose maybe it's because Jews don't proselytize, but I, I really had absolutely nothing to say to her. Honestly, I was just hoping and praying that the experience would be over quickly for many reasons. But, but, but here's the thing. It's not that Jews don't care about saving souls from sin. We acknowledge sin. Actually, the Hebrew word is pet, which is generally translated as missed the mark. Jews do not believe sin is something you're born with. It's simply an act that literally veers you away from the path of righteousness. Jews do believe and acknowledge that we all commit sins. And that and what we do is we, we seek our form of our own form of redemption by atoning for those sins. And here's how we do that. It's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It comes once every year, ten days after Rosh Hashanah, which is literally head Rosh Hashanah of the year. So on Yom Kippur, we stand together as a congregation and we ask forgiveness from God, from each other, for the sins that we committed against ourselves and against one another in the past year. And very importantly, this is a time when we Jews ask to be written in the book of life for another year, which we're about to start with a clean slate, if you will. So I, I guess we approach the quest for eternal life one year at a time. We're a practical people. Now, as a kid, I remember standing up in synagogue with the rest of my congregation, and much as we fasted to cleanse our bodies, so too we prayed to cleanse our souls. And we, by, we did that by reciting the Shehecht on Yom Kippur. It's the prayer of atonement. Now, today I want to share this experience with you. It's a mitzvah, a blessing, in Judaism, to share our prayers outside our temples. So I have brought the prayer of atonement, and I'd like to ask Marco and Sandy if they would please come up and help me pass these out. We might have to share. And now, please keep in mind that this particular version that you're getting is just one version of this prayer. Uh, this particular recitation I chose because I thought it might resonate here. It's not verbatim the one I recall using as a kid. Um, that was a more traditional recitation of sins that in, included confessions like, I have coveted my neighbor's wife. I, I don't know why that stuck with me. I, I've spoken ill of others. Um, but, but the version you're getting, uh, it comes from the, the Gates of Repentance, uh, the prayer book for the Days of Awe. This is, this is a prayer book that's only used during the High Holidays. Um, and so that's where this, this particular um, version came from. And there's only like 10, 10 prayers in here, but there's 20 versions of each of them. I'm kidding. Um, so, let, let's, let's try it. <clears throat> I know we generally only stand to sing, but this morning, we're going to stand and pray together. So I'd like 
to ask everyone to rise in body or spirit. I will read the first line, and you read the italicized line below it. We have sinned against life by failing to work for peace. We have sinned against life by keeping silent in the face of injustice. We have sinned against life by ignoring those who suffer in distant lands. We have sinned against life by forgetting the poor in our own midst. We have failed to respect those made in the image of God. We have held our love from those who depend on us. We have engaged in gossip and repeated slander. We have distorted the truth for our own advantage. We have conformed to fashion and not to conscience. We have indulged in despair and trafficked with sinners. We have given meager support to our houses of study. We have sinned against ourselves and paid scant heed to the life of the Spirit. We have sinned against ourselves and have not risen to fulfill the Please be seated. See? That, that, that wasn't so bad. Um... Now, of course, there's more to it. There's the fasting and being in temple all day, not so easy. Uh, but in a nutshell, this is what observant Jews do once a year to redeem themselves from sin. Now, future faiths have developed and evolved in the Judeo-Christian tradition, um, and some of those subsequently chose to engage more frequently in confession. But Jews have pretty much stuck to just, just once a year. There are, however... Other prayers that Jews recite much, much, much more often. Take the Elenu. Now, this one is truly etched in my memory. Uh, maybe that's because it's said three times a day. And it seemed to me like we recited the Elenu all the time. In temple, at Hebrew day school, etc., etc. And here it can be found in the, uh, the normal, everyday um, prayer book, uh, The Gates of Prayer, and you can see here, for those in the front row, this was given to me by the Sisterhood of Tree of Life uh, Congregation uh, upon my bat mitzvah in 1976. So, the Elenu goes something like this. Elenu l'sabeach l'adon hakol. It is our duty to praise the Master of all. To ascribe greatness to the author of creation. Who has not made us like the nations of the lands. Nor, place us, nor placed us like the families of the earth. Who has made our portion not? Who has not made our portion like theirs? Nor our destiny like all their multitudes. So three times a day, we Jews remind ourselves that we're pretty special. We're the chosen ones. We're the ones that God made different from all the other people. Now, it's no wonder I, I grew up thinking I was special. 
and if I can be perfectly candid here, and, and let me make this my own personal confession, I grew up thinking special was better. I was proud to be one of the chosen ones. Pride. Turns out that's, that's actually one of the seven deadly sins. Right? Just, just to recap, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Now, pride can be a good thing when it shines on others. But the sinful version is when it's a reflection of self. When it's identified as a dangerously corrupt selfishness, the putting of one's own desires, urges, whims, wants, before the welfare of others. Arrogance, conceit, self-importance. Is that what my religion also taught me? Hmm, maybe so. You see, there was this one day, well, okay, there were many days, when I would be ready to walk out that door, having come to this sanctuary for spiritual nourishment, song, a beloved community, sharing of joys and sorrows, that warm and wonderful feeling of deep and abiding fellowship. And my wife, my, my partner at the time, would inform me that we couldn't leave just yet. We had to stay. We were the closers. <laughs> And I would say, really? Now, mind you, I was president of the church at the time. <laughs> I, I was already doing a lot. I was, I was working on our mission statement, our strategic plan, you know, the big stuff. And now I had to do the manual labor, too. Closing meant cleaning up after everyone else leaves, sweeping the floor, carrying out the trash, recycling the compost, collecting the dirty dishes to take home and clean, and generally getting the place ready to welcome everyone back the following Sunday. I resented it. Even though, to be honest, at the beginning, Sandy did most of the schlepping of the mugs back and forth, and there really wasn't that much more to it. Just tidying up, which, ironically, I actually like to do. But I think, honestly, that at first it was actually more the idea of having to wash up after everybody else that I kind of resented. <clears throat> I'm truly sorry and somewhat embarrassed to admit this, but I think that deep down I had it in my head that I was too important to be bothered with the menial tasks. Let someone else take care of the dishes. I got bigger fish to fry. Then one Sunday, after services, we had a leadership council meeting. And that's when the board members and committee chairs gathered to discuss the running of the church and chairs from committee like, committees like religious education, worship, music, communications, finance, social justice, stewardship, green team, and, of course, fellowship, which includes hospitality. Hospitality is mostly about the business of opening and closing the church and making sure we have everything we need to offer the fellowship of coffee and conversation after services. So at this particular meeting, we were once again talking about how tough it was to get people to sign up to open and close a church. And we were coming up with possible solutions, okay? The one we landed on on that day was to start making less coffee. So it wouldn't take quite so much strength to carry that big urn 
up from our downstairs sink and all the way around and, you know, gallons of water, someone's got a lug to make the coffee. So what if we lowered the quantity of coffee we were making and, and maybe the babysitter would be able to schlep the thing up here and open for us? And <clears throat> I've generally been an advocate, by the way, of paying for these services, so come talk to me afterwards if you want to start a dedicated fund for the opening and closing. But anyway, that, that day we, we, we tried making less coffee. And guess what? I was a bless bless and in actually in Hebrew it's laboriot, which is to your health. So <clears throat> I was at church the following Sunday, and after service I'm standing at the back chatting up to new newcomers. Yeah, there there were lesbian couple, and I only mention that because I couldn't help but think at the time, and and forgive me for this too, but I was thinking yeah, it'd be nice to have another lesbian couple around. Uh, it's not that I have anything against heterosexuals. I love you guys. It's just that it's, it, it's also nice to be with people who've shared your, your personal and, and particular struggles. So I'm trying to make a good impression, and, and guess what? Yep, we ran out of coffee. Yep, and true story, it was actually a very cold and rainy day. And we had just invited these newcomers to stay afterwards for coffee and conversation. And we had none left for them. So uh, there I am looking around, and I, I saw, I, Sheldon, I think it was you. I, I, Sheldon stepped over to help me, and we're, we're tipping that big urn, you know, to trying to get our new guests to eke out like half a cup of our dregs. <clears throat> and that was my moment of redemption, you do style. My moment to realize, to truly feel that being able to offer a visitor a fresh cup of coffee in a clean mug on a cold Sunday morning is its own mitzvah, its own blessing. And really, there are no bigger fish to fry than that. No task more important than keeping our covenant of helping our neighbor. It was an everyday moment of seemingly little consequence, or, or possibly some, because I don't think I've seen these, these two back, but... Uh, <laughs> But at that moment, I was reminded of something I had heard from the leader of a breakthrough UU congregation at a, at a UU leadership training. And breakthroughs are those that have broken through and gotten strong in whatever way they define strength. Um, and he said that he realized they had to grow stronger so that they could be there for those who hadn't found them yet. Now, I am not going to stand up here and claim that I finally got over myself and all my foolish, selfish pride. It's just that now I find redemption in the act of cleaning up after service and washing out the mugs so I can be part of nourishing my beloved community or fortifying the stranger who might someday be a friend. These days, when my wife informs me that we're closing, I think, yes, I'm on it. And later on, when I load and unload the dishwasher back home, I think about those who came, who sang, who spoke, who shared, who laughed, who cried, and who were truly grateful for a warm cup of coffee and a clean mug when it was all over. And sometimes I find myself wondering what I would say to that young woman today the one who was trying to save me with her promise of eternal salvation and her hot, sticky wax. 
if we met up again today, I think this time I'd have something to say to her. I would tell her, I've been saved. Saved from the sin of pride. I would tell her that love is the spirit of the church I belong to. I would tell her that while I was born among the chosen people, I now also have a chosen faith with a funny name. <clears throat> a faith that believes that all are chosen. A faith that believes in the inherent worth and dignity of every person. A faith that encourages me to find my own spiritual path to redemption. A faith full of kindred spirits who have come together to embrace diversity, nurture spirituality, and promote justice in the world. May it be so, and thank you.